WBNE. Hello, and welcome to episode 121, All About the Hobbit, The Battle of Five Armies, Part 3, being the 121st part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And today I'm joined by Lexi, aka Girl Next Gondor. We love a good Middle Earth pun. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for coming. Um, listeners, there was some scheduling conflicts going on behind the scenes, and I DM'd uh, Lexi on Twitter and was like, is there any chance you're available? And she is, and she's wonderful for jumping in, and I'm so happy to have you on. Yeah, it, it, I don't really know what I'm in for, but it sounds exciting, and I'm always down. It'll be a fun time. Yeah. I hope it's a fun time. <laughs> it's going to be interesting for sure. Yes, yes, especially with the content that we will be discussing. Oh, yes. Um, So why don't you tell me and the listeners a little bit about your history with Lord of the Rings slash Tolkien? How did you get introduced to that? And what is it that you do with it now? It starts out pretty vanilla. My teacher read us The Hobbit in, I think I was 10 years old, around fifth grade. I really, really liked The Hobbit. I liked that um, Tolkien really seemed familiar with his fairy tale tropes, and he took them very seriously, and that was something I had not really Mm -hmm. seen before. I read a lot as a kid, and, you know, I hit someone, I was like, oh, he gets me, you know, he understands. So my parents got me the boxed set. This was the last set, I believe, that was uh, printed before the movie tie-ins came out. So this was, it had soon to be a major motion picture, but as yet, no pictures of Vigo or Orly or anything. (laughs) I think I was one of the last people to get that particular edition. And I tried to read Fellowship of the Ring, and I couldn't And I tried the next year and I couldn't, I think I tried probably four or five times before I found myself locked in a car for multiple hours without my usual stack of reading supplies. And I powered my way through Council of Elrond. And then from then on, it was... Yeah, it's always the Council of Elrond, isn't it? (laughs) And and going back, that's when Elrond is my favorite character. Council of Elrond is now growing up one of my favorite chapters. But at the time, it was just, it was a sticking point after just happy, fun adventures with hobbits. And after that, I was I was done. I was gone. It was over. Silmarillion about <laughs> six months after that. So all through high school, I'm like crawling through thrift stores trying to get a hold of like Morgoth's ring, like the 10th volume of History of Middle Earth and nowhere had it. And we had to order it from Portland. So that was that was many moons ago when I was a young lass. And I've just kind of you know continued reading and watching the films, obviously, when the films came out, I was kind of right at the perfect age to just get sucked into them and love them and then grow up a little and hate them. And now with a little more distance, I'm like, I've come to terms with them. I, I accept them for what they are. And when uh, news of the Prime series came out, um, set in the second age, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this is what they need to be making a Lord of the Rings adaptation about. Like, forget the hobbits, forget trying to horn in dwarves where they don't belong. They need to focus on the second age and on all the drama with the men and getting some elves in there. Yes. And so I was like, you know, this would really this would be a great time to engage with the uh, the broader Tolkien community. So I launched a little YouTube channel having absolutely no idea what I was doing, still really having no idea what I'm doing. And that was in March, late March of this year. Yeah, and that's that's what we're doing. We're making videos about Tolkien stuff and consuming and enjoying and 
meeting really cool people now that I've actually decided to kind of go public with my my nerdy ways. <laughs> Wonderful. All of that is awesome. Okay, so it's I've been asking all of my guests for the Hobbit movies, just their general thoughts about the franchise in general, since I know that they are very, they're very controversial Divisive, movies, yeah. sh- shall we say. So it sounds like with some distance and some time, you've come to be able to enjoy some aspects of it, but other aspects are also still a little bit a little, rough. A little frustrating. I heard someone, I forget who's, I'm sure someone will join jump in if if I'm misquoting them but someone on the internet at some point said the hobbit was peter jackson trying really hard with the rights that he had to make a silmarillion movie out of the hobbit Oh, that's an excellent way of describing it. I really liked that. He was trying to draw on so much of the lore, and those references really get my inner fangirl all, like, dewy-eyed and, you know, oh my gosh, Elrond's with his (laughs) sword. It's probably the one his foster father gave to him at the end of the First Age. Yeah, mixed success in terms of blending that aesthetic with kind of the wackier moments of The Hobbit being a children's story ultimately and having more humor and then the baggage of the lord of the rings and the one short little novel stretched into three very long movies and the issues Mm -hmm. with the visual yeah there's it's known it's known the problems are known but there's still (laughs) there's fun to be had and i think if you just if we can just we can we can hold out and hope for better next time while accepting the value in in what we have and you know the the kids who grew up in the 70s and 80s on the Rankin Bass Hobbit and the Ralph Bakshi two-part Lord of the Rings adaptations I think they had it a lot rougher than we did so (laughs) yeah you're totally accurate to say that people before the before you know the 2000s that's all you know that's all they had so they had it a bit rougher than we did with the Hobbit movies so I guess we can suck it up and watch the Hobbit movies you know (laughs) yeah can get over ourselves a little bit yeah exactly right At the gates of Erebor, a battle is ready to begin as the Elven and Lake Town armies confront Thorin. They reveal the Arkenstone and offer it in exchange for just a tiny piece of the literal hoard of treasure that they were promised in the first place, but Thorin doesn't believe it's the real Arkenstone. Bilbo steps up and naively, sweetly, tells Thorin that it is real and admits he gave it to them because Thorin is completely changed. He says this with a lot of confidence for a hobbit who is surrounded by dwarves that are much stronger than him, but thank God for Gandalf who asks for his burglar to be returned unharmed like Bilbo's a set of dinner plates from Pottery Barn. Bard asks Thorin if he'll have peace or war, and Thorin like, uh, war please. Then the town of Burke from How to Train Your Dragon, I mean the Dwarven army from Ironfoot, arrived to bail out Thorin. Just before the battle is about to begin though, wereworms burst from the ground and well, they don't really do anything except help Azog and the orcs make a dramatic entrance. Everyone teams up as one against the orcs and the battle of five armies begins. Elf, man, dwarf, orc, and no, that's definitely four. The battle of four armies begins. And that's what the rest of this movie is about. Just this one battle, stretched out thin, like butter scraped over too much bread. The orcs begin attacking Dale as well, splitting up the good guy's attention and making us, unfortunately, see more of Alfred as he continues to be the worst character in this movie. Bard, meanwhile, continues to be the best character in the movie as he goes cart surfing down a street and saves his children. Inside the mountain, the dwarves are doing nothing because Thorn's terrible. But at last, wise words from Balin knock some sense into him. No, that's not. Oh right, his nephews, the heirs to the throne after him, confront their uncle and make him see that, no, that doesn't happen either. Um, oh right, Dwalin yells 
at him a bit. And then Thorin remembers every terrible thing that's been said to him, much like me when I'm trying to fall asleep at night. And a hallucination of Smaug and being drowned in gold is what snaps him out of it. Sure, great. Moving on, energized by Thorin's return to the real world, the dwarves burst into battle. Apparently, 13 dwarves are going to make a huge difference in this massive battle where orcs outnumber everyone three to one. Thorin, Keeley, Feely, and Dwalin charge off to Ravenhill to take out Azog because for some reason, he's the only one who thought of killing the leader of the enemy's army. Legolas and Tariel arrive with the news that there's a second army coming from Gundabad, which I still have no geographical sense of. Bilbo decides to go warn the dwarves, who arrive at Ravenhill like, weird, there's no one here. It's almost like this is a trap or something. Bilbo insists that he won't be seen and Gandalf is immediately sus, but he's like, I don't have time for that right now. Thranduil sees the death of his army around him and decides to pull back, which is completely fair considering they inserted themselves into this battle all because he wanted a necklace back. Tariel learns that her boyfriend, who she's talked to four times, is on Ravenhill and plans to disobey Thranduil's orders and go save him, despite the fact that she's been banished, so technically she can do what she wants. She is fully prepared to kill the Elven King over this matter, which I get he's awful, but I think that's a bit much. Legolas puts this to a stop, goes with Tariel to Ravenhill and says, no dad, I'm giving up your dream. I mean, he doesn't say that, but it is implied. All right, so this part of the movie kicks off. We're, we're beginning the battle of five armies. Yeah, this is what it's all been leading up to. Yeah, and <laughs> it makes me so mad because I'm like, why would they make a movie about it's li- if you look at the book, it's 20 pages. It's also like not like if someone told me, hey, they made the entirety of Return of the King out of the Battle of Pelennor Field, right. I would maybe be like, okay, that's fine because that's a great battle. A lot happens there. <laughs> yeah. But not, they really added in a lot of it, especially given that in the book, your main character gets knocked out. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're in the part of the movie where I'm like, wow, they like really, really, really stretched this out they into really nothing. <laughs> I was noticing even when I was watching it, even the, the epic scenes that they're showing where they're like, you're the viewer, I think, is supposed to be like, wow, a visual mm-hmm. spectacle. Like, these are some really puny little armies. Like, as, you know, canonically yeah. there, but even on screen when they're trying to hype them up, I'm like, look at how little their little columns are. Like, this is nothing compared to the big epic. They're trying to channel Helm's Deep. They're trying to channel Pelennor, and it's just... Yeah, I got both of those vibes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So we start off the elven army and, I guess... Some of the men from Dale who can fight maybe are there as well. I don't see them, but they might be there. I don't know. They are lined up outside of the gates of Erebor. And I love how neat and tidy and mechanical the elven army is. Like you see Thranduil walking through the middle with his elk and it's very systematic in the way that the elves move out of the way and then move back into place. And then we have like the ragtag dwarf army i say army in quotes it's 13 of them up on the little um rampart wearing like shields that they found off of like which is really dark that they probably found off of like their dead uncles skeletons yeah yeah yeah. and they're all like yeah so i love seeing both of those armies kind of like back and forth next to each other for me that was a little bit i kind of yelled at the screen at that point it's been a long time since I watched this movie too, actually. So I just, I rewatched <laughs> it recently so I could, you know, prepare. And um, that was one of the points where I was like, <sighs> because the elves being, of course, you know, okay, they're elves and they're going to be perfect. And the film has to portray that they're 
perfect elves and they know what they're doing and they're all they've all been training for hundreds and thousands of years etc etc but these are you know these are wood elves these are not the same as the more militarily minded elves the ones who would be wearing really heavy armor kind of the the cavalry of the elves it's these these are wood elves they're supposed to be more stealth oriented and more you know guerrilla fighting so mm-hmm. I, not that i not that i am throwing shade on the Merkwood army at all here but <laughs> i don't want them coming to my house but um I was like, yeah, you know, it's six out of ten elf aesthetic. I wish they were a little bit. These elves in particular, I think, could have been a little bit more, uh, a little more woodsy, yeah, a little less regimented. It's very, to me, it's very much, that, yeah, um, very much like Noldoran. You know, the the deep mm-hmm. elves, the wise elves, and this is they're these are supposed to be Sylvan, Sindarin, yeah. mongrels. So that's a good point. I hadn't really considered that because I think I think in my mind, I was just like, oh, yeah, the elves, all of the elves that exist came to fight. So I never really considered that like these are, I guess, just the wood elves, because if these were all of the elves, I guess Elrond would also be there helping to command things as well. But it's just Thranduil. So, yeah, that's a good point that they could have been a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're they're veterans of the. The whole business, the last alliance and everything. So they do, I guess they must have some kind of battlefield experience. So maybe I'm being too... Yeah. And having some training in the... They are very old. Yeah. So (laughs) they've had time to train, possibly. Right. It's just they seem very comfortable holding very rigid geometrical formations. I'm like, no, you guys are supposed to be like free. That's your vibe. You're the wood elves. Leave the... You know, let Elrond take care of the the heavy lifting on that that front. (laughs) So Thranduil and Bard uh, go up to confront Thorin. And they're like, hey, looky what we got. And they pull out the Arkenstone which uh, Bilbo had just given them the night before. And Thorne is immediately in disbelief. Um, he So it's actually Keeley who calls out and says, like, thieves, like, whatever. But, and which is kind I of feel an like interesting been, moment. Yeah, I thought that because up until also Keeley is later on in this section of the movie, he's the first one or one of the first to, like, stand up to Thorne and be like, this is wrong, that we're not fighting. Yeah. Um, so I think it's kind of odd that it was Keely to be like thieves, but instead of Thorin or maybe even, I guess, Feely, yeah. because when they first walk in to Erebor, um, Feely is immediately entranced by the treasure and, and walks over. So maybe I could see it's having some effect on him. But it's odd to me that Keely did it. And isn't Keely at this point all about like we should unite with our hot elven brethren? Yeah. And- <laughs> Right, honestly, yeah. Celebrate a little, a little unity on that front. I think Keeley is just very much like he's a very passionately loyal yeah. person, and it just depends on like who he's with at that moment. Mm-hmm. And so in that moment, it's Thorin, and so that's who he's going to be like outspokenly loyal to. Um, which I think that's a that's a fun that's a fun like character trait to have for a dwarf, you know. <laughs> yeah, very dwarfy. I was gonna say yes. the, the nephew uncle relationship in particular is yeah. pretty significant because because dwarves have like no women. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like one third of their population is female, so you're not guaranteed sons. So you gotta invest in your nephews pretty heavily. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, also, Thorin is wearing the crown. This is where he's like really getting. Um, like literally, you know, starting to like be weighed down by the treasure and like legacy and everything that yeah. this is all leading up to. And I love how like 
it's it's like pretty gradual where first he's wearing like this big heavy coat and then now in this scene I think is the first time we see him with the crown on and it's not like a light it's almost like a helmet like it takes up a lot of his head and like you don't see it's like he's not able to like move freely you know and I think you know that's very intentional obviously that they but like it's a really it's a really cool design given like what his character is going through in this moment Thorin's like this is trickery that's just a fake blah 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 I love how he's been searching for the Arkenstone he knows what the Arkenstone looks like and Bard holds up the literal actual Arkenstone and he's like that's not the Arkenstone it's like then what is it wouldn't you know yeah I guess he's just so so much in disbelief that like yeah. he doesn't have it because in his mind he's like it's in the mountain somewhere it has to be there's right. no way like it belongs with me or it belongs with no one or it's lost forever so like this idea of someone else getting the Arkenstone is just completely unfathomable to him yeah and he's like blinded almost to that um and then bilbo sweet sweet Uh. bilbo um he has he snuck off the night before because alfred god Mm. hate him um gandalf had given alfred the task of watching bilbo and making sure he didn't sneak off and there's a brief scene where alfred goes to like check on bilbo and wake him up and then you see that bilbo's not there so bilbo snuck off and went back to be with the dwarves and he he speaks up and says no that is the arkenstone i took it as my 14th share of the treasure and i gave it to them because I want this madness to end. Just the sweet, sweet, like, courageous, the the courage of that moment where he's surrounded mm-hmm. by 13 dwarves. He doesn't know how they're going to react, especially the main one. Right. And, like, the disbelief in Thorin's face that he's been betrayed by Bilbo and Bilbo is confronting him finally and saying, you know, you are, you are changed, you are not the dwarf that I met in Bag End and this has gone too far and it's time to end it. And just the courage it's, of hobbits, yeah, you know? No, he's he's precious. And it's, again, it's interesting seeing how this scene is played in the films versus, a, you know, glance through the book. And it's much more, it's much easier to kind of laugh it off in the book. It's, you know, they gloss over the actual threat of violence in the book. It's, you know, it's just like, oh, and then Thorin was so mad and he kicked him out of the mountain. haha. You know, Bilbo's kind of squeaking. His courage is underplayed in the book. It's, he's just like, it was me. It's almost like he blurts it out without really meaning to. It's not, whereas in the movie, they really build into this idea that they've established this relationship and Thorin was starting to really respect Bilbo and trust him and, you know, consider him an ally and then to be, from his perspective, betrayed, not able to see that it's Bilbo actually acting in what he sees as Thorin's best interest. He's like, I've got to stop this before you guys all kill yourselves Mm -hmm. because I really care about you. It's like the clash of mindsets between a dwarf where loyalty and your treasure and your territory, those are the paramount values versus a hobbit who's like, but yeah, we all need to be like fed and warm and alive, you know, safe. (laughs) Alive, preferably. (laughs) Preferably like not dead and dwarves are like, what are you talking about? Glorious battle. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I think um, also in that moment or up until this moment, I should say, Bilbo probably believes that there's still a part of Thorin that he can get to. And that in this moment, he's not 
afraid of Thorin right now because he he believes that this is going to fix it. Like this is going to be his wake up call finally and he's going to snap out of it and it'll be okay. And so when Thorin reacts badly against Bilbo, I think that's when he's finally realizing he's gone and he's like totally lost it. Yeah, no, for sure. Thorin gives the command to the other dwarves to throw Bilbo over the rampart. And I love that none of the dwarves move to even not even like a not even like a hesitant movement of like we don't want to do this but Thorin says like they firmly do not do anything which is you know just another testament to how far Thorin's gone that even the rest of the dwarves don't think what he's saying is right especially not this moment you know they're they're pretty much willing to follow him into battle and death and all that but like but but Bilbo he's our burglar no you can't yeah like he broke us out of elf jail him yeah Yeah. kind of stared him like what bro like no yeah like totally not the right move here at all (laughs) um and so thorin grabs bilbo and is like about to you know throw him over and then we hear that booming wizard voice so good gandalf comes through and says if you do not like my burglar you know return him please (laughs) do not damage him do not yeah and it's a funny line in the book and it is a little amusing here too because it's like if you don't like my casserole dish that's fine but can i please have it back (laughs) yeah yeah, well, if you don't want him, I'll take him, but don't, like, yeah. wreck him for everyone else. No, it's... Yeah, it's, please. <laughs> it's funny, but like everything else, the, the drama's upped a little bit. It's kind of, you know, we've taken away that that narrative interposition of someone who's telling the story and kind of giving asides and putting a humorous spin on things, being like, we all know that it's going to work out okay in the end. That's not something the movie's really leaned into, at least not for these scenes. Gandalf's kind of, especially since we've just seen him in Dol Guldor fighting Sauron himself, essentially, Gandalf drops the wizard voice. He does the booming thing that he kind of does in Bag End later at the beginning of Fellowship mm-hmm. of the Ring, where he kind of intimates that you people don't know really who you're messing with if you think you can just ignore ignore Gandalf. Nobody nobody puts Gandalf in the corner. That That's a great point. You know, he was previously with Sauron and like all this stuff, but it's not until one of his hobbits is threatened yes. or possibly in danger that he's like, no, no, no. And I love that he says my burglar, taking ownership of the fact that like I'm the one who was responsible for putting Bilbo into this mess. Um, and so he's like, you can bet that you are not going to hurt him in my presence. Absolutely not. It's such a brief little moment, but it's so sweet because it's something that they've done continually throughout the three movies. Bofur is the one to get Bilbo away from Thorn and be like, go, go. Mm-hmm. And Bofur is the one throughout all of the movies that like whenever they're like, where's Bilbo or whatever. It's yeah. always Bofur saying it. So I appreciate that continuity bit. So yeah, they get Bilbo down and he runs away and scurries away and goes to join Gandalf and everyone else, else down on the ground thranduil and the rest of the armies are ready they're ready to go and they're like are you really about to spill all of this blood all of this over treasure but what do you think is going to happen and then we see a raven come and land in front of thorin and i know what's happening there because that's a book thing it could be something that's in an extended edition scene i don't know but the birds are used to communicate and send messages and the birds even talk in the book and they'll come back and be like, Dane says he's on his way. Yeah. But none of us here, 
Raven just randomly shows up. So I feel like for an average movie going person who's like, why is that Raven there? Yeah, that would be a really <laughs> weird moment. I had that thought too. I was like, did I miss an earlier scene where they established that the Ravens are their communication system or are, is our audience is just... I think at the very start of the movie after Smaug is dead, the birds start coming back and someone yeah. has a line that's like, the Ravens are returning. So I think, and I think that's really it. And you yeah. maybe there may have been a moment where you see a raven leave um, earlier. Not that I can remember, but yeah, it's a very, it's definitely like a book. People will know what this is. Bard, sweet Bard. He's my favorite character, by the way. Um, <laughs> Bard is just like every time he's he says something to Thorin during this scene, and is like, "Is this really what you're gonna do?" Like you could see the disbelief on his face because it would never cross his mind to do anything like this. Um, anyway, yeah. So the Raven comes, and yeah, Thorin gets this like triumphant look on his face. Yeah, and then out of the West, east, I don't know what, some direction, um, over oh. a hill, <laughs> an Shit, army of yeah, dwarves they're, they're come. pointing south, aren't they? I can't, I, I, I'm I so bad there, at, like, yo, the There's a moment later, Bilba has a great line, and I was like, yes, Bilba, same. Yes. Um, another, a huge dwarven army comes running up the hill, and... Dane comes in. He's on a, a warthog of some kind. Yes. And he comes in with this like loud, brassy attitude right off the bat. I love it. This actor was only in the movie for such a brief time, but he like really sold this role. He killed it. Yeah, he's great. I believe he is the voice actor for one of the characters in How to Train Your Dragon. I think it, it's not Hiccup's dad, but it's like Hiccup's it's like dad's friend. blacksmith guy or something. That would make yeah. sense. I think it, his voice is very familiar, and I think I remember looking that up or something. Anyway, he has a very like distinctive like Scottish voice. I was going to say, okay, so they're dwarves. They're coarse and uncouth and angry, so of course they're going to be at some point, someone's going to have a Scottish accent. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and some of the dwarves so far, they've had like hints of that, you right. know, or they're very like soft Scottish accents. This one's very harsh. Yeah. This is actually the only time that there's profanity in the movies. Yes. Um, it is from Dane Ironfoot. And he tells the <laughs> he tells everyone to go sodding off. Yes. And he also later refers to them as bastards. Um, and I think that's so fun that like, so me being an American, I don't consider sod. Those are very you know, mild swears. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I don't consider those swears. But like for the sake of like Lord of the Rings and Tolkien, oh, those sure. are definitely, you know, that's as profane as it gets. Mm. So I think it's really funny that it's coming from this dwarf who's bursting in on a warthog leading an army. Um, ready to fight immediately, ready to throw hands. And I think, I personally think Lee Pace is struggling to hold it together in this scene. Because if you look at him, he's like, his mouth is working the whole time. And he's got this line where it's like, you know, he's mad just like his cousin, which should be really cutting it, it if it's Thranduil's character. You know, like sneering it all the way down. Yeah. And this is movie Thranduil. I know I know they, they did great harm to you, my sweet Elven King, in the adaptation process. But this is, this is movie Thranduil who's a jerk and just hates dwarves. So he should be really just like appalled and like fully flustered and clutching his pearls. But in the movie, like in the scene, he's kind of giggling the whole time he delivers the line he's like he's mad like his cousin i don't think i've ever noticed that i'll have to go back and pay more attention and to that i don't know if it was scripted or not but the dane says you know oh we'll wipe the smirk off your face and like 
Thranduil is visi- visibly struggling to hold it together, which is not in keeping with his character at all. But I think in the moment, he's just like the humor. It's still, of having, yeah. it's still a fun moment for like us as the viewer to see. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think the actors probably were having a lot of fun, you know, okay, we're, oh, we're, yeah. we're a dwarf army versus an elf army and the dwarves are just going to yell obscenities at the elves and the elves are just kind of going to look superior and, and rush it off and be like, yes, now we get to slay you filthy inferior creatures hewn from the rock yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. So yeah, it was pretty funny for me. Yeah. I was like, this is, this is totally a, a breach of character and I love it and it's wonderful. <laughs> Yeah. But before any battle can even begin between the dwarves and elves, worms show up. <laughs> and I like- say that because it's just so, it's, I don't remember that being an aspect of the book, but there are these there giant is a line. worms. They're in, they're in the book. They're, okay. They get like a line. Jackson goes like a dune direction, making them like literal worms. I think Tolkien a lot of times means dragon or a dragon-like creature. So I don't know if that's what he had in his mind, but really it's like they get maybe a throwaway reference in the book, I think. Well, and that, what's they're in there. Odd is that okay, so the wereworms burst out of the ground as Azog and his army are beginning their assault. I don't think we ever really see the wereworms again. I think they just no. burst out of the ground and maybe do some initial attacking, but I can't remember if we see them again in the battle. <laughs> yeah, I think the justification is that they've tunneled which is going to allow Oh, the... is that it? Okay. I, I don't know. I don't know. Again, it's, it's super <laughs> I don't know confusing. <laughs> they appear, and as I was like, oh, yes, with the werewolves on our side, none can withstand us. And then it's like, but they don't ever do anything, Fight? really? Yeah, yeah there's I not don't... like killing the werewolves is not a significant plot point, but I think the implication is that because they tunnel... That gives the orcs greater mobility than the elves and dwarves are going to suspect because I guess maybe they can like get through or around the mountain. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to keep an eye out and see if they show up again in the battle for the last part because I can't remember them like ever having like a huge moment where like they're fighting yeah. against one or something. This is all I mean. And if we can't remember it, then that's kind of telling. Exactly. Yeah. I absolutely love that the second these like bad guys show up, the dwarves turn their attention and they're ready to go. No questions asked. Gandalf has to turn to Thranduil and say like, will you not fight against these with the dwarves? And there's this moment of you know, hesitation where you don't know exactly what they're going to do and you're kind of expecting, given Thranduil's record, you're expecting for him to be like, no, do nothing. And you see the dwarves. Again, I love seeing like the different like battle tactics and stuff. The dwarves start forming a line and like the way it's very methodical how like their shields come together to form a barrier and right as the orcs are charging and about to attack, then the elves jump over and there's this like swell of music and it's a really great moment. So pretty. <laughs> so yeah, the battle of five armies it is joined. begins. Yeah. <laughs> Today I was editing the first episode for Battle of Five Armies and my guests and I were wondering and I was also wondering this as I was reading the chapter. It's been a question in my head the whole time. What exactly are the five armies, right? According to IMDb, I know it's not the the best (laughs) source for Tolkien news or whatever, but this is what IMDb says. Okay. It says the five armies in the movie 
are the dwarves, the elves, the men of Lake Town. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. The orc army from Dol Guldur, led by Azog, and the orc army from Gundabad, led by Bolg. I thought Bolg was dead <laughs> by now. I yeah. guess he's still alive. And then it says, in the book, the five armies are the elves, the men, the dwarves, the wargs, and the orcs, which I feel like that doesn't... Ca- I, I, I don't like that it's the orc army from Dol Guldur and the orc army from Gundabad. Like, those are just... Th- that's just orc army, you know? Right. That's and just one orc army. Yeah, in the book, Azog is, I believe, dead at this point. Yeah, oh yeah, Azog, I think, is dead even before... Yeah, he dies in more he... instead of being having his yeah. arm cut off, he's actually his head's cut off. Yeah, that was a big change for for the movies, yeah. I can't keep... Ch- I don't know what Bolg in the movie yeah. looks like. <laughs> I don't know what he looks like. I know what Azog looks like because they keep calling him the pale one. Right. But uh, I literally, up until I read that just now, I thought Bolg was one of the orcs that attacks Lake Town at the end of Desolation of Smaug and is killed by Tariel or Legolas and that mm. apparently didn't happen <laughs> so that answers some questions because <laughs> I was watching this with subtitles is Bolg the one because there's a moment where he like a scout goes to Azog and says we saw the Elven King's son and some other random elf and you know oh they, they ran away from us like they escaped us and Azog's like you dumb dummy dumbhead and I think oh. I think the person reporting to him at least in the subtitles if I'm not totally misremembering I think that was Bolg and I'm also remembering that Legolas has this one on one fight he has so many, I mean yeah. it's Legolas that's what they do with him for these yes, movies anyway they do. he has this very intense one on one battle with an orc and that might be Bolg so we'll have listeners We'll come back to this. I'll have to rewatch it. We'll come back to this. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I watch it with subtitles. And if I didn't watch it with subtitles, I would miss so many things. I'm like, who is that character? I don't know. No idea. (laughs) What did they say? I don't know. So yeah, the, the, the Battle of Five Armies has begun. The trolls storm in and they're kind of carrying everyone. It's almost like they're the... Oliphants of this battle and I was like wait a minute is there I was trying to remember what happens next I was like is there a sequence where Legolas takes down a bunch of them (laughs) all at once like with the like in the Battle of Pelennor Field does Keely accuse him of trying to pad his kill count like how how many many parallels are they gonna stuff (laughs) into this still counts as one yeah Yeah. exactly yeah and like I don't know if that was necessarily meant to be a parallel but it more felt to me like they were reusing a lot of the same Mm -hmm. uh, like devices for this battle. (laughs) The orcs start fighting the elves and the dwarves and then Azog gives the order that I guess some of them then split off and they turn on the city because their tactic here is that they can't fight us on two fronts. And I don't think that they had, that like the elves and the men had considered the idea that they would turn the attack on the town because in their mind they're like well obviously we're not going to bring you know the only people we're going to bring into battle are going to be those who are fit to fight and our city is going to be filled with our you know injured our women the old people the children whatever it's better than just keeping them out in the 
field, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But so so in their minds, though, you know, yeah. we have to remember they're not, even though like the elves and the dwarves have this feud and like all this stuff is happening, there's still aspects of humanity about them because yeah. they're, you know, good people in this larger good versus evil fight. And yeah. so it doesn't cross their mind to consider that they, that the orcs also, I should mention, they had no clue that the, that the, the orcs thing. were going to yeah, show they, up. Yeah. They think, and they don't know, you know, I think at least in the film, Thranduil and Bard, and even up until the last minute there, Thorin, they aren't really sure if Dane is coming, when he's going to get there. So even Dane is kind of a surprise. So at the, you know, when they wake up that morning, Thranduil and Bard are like, well, let's go and talk to the, like, that's their plan. They're like, okay, well, we have armies in case anything goes wrong. Let's go talk to Thorin and make him see that he can't hope to withstand a siege of all of us with 12 followers and... And like that's as far as their plane goes. And in the in the book, I think they negotiate several times. They're Yeah, it's several times and I believe they're like, we're just gonna wait them out. And then yeah. at one point someone is like, We can't I think it's I think it's Bilba who comes out event it's after several days. Right. Because the elves and men are like, Well, they can't stay in there forever. They're either gonna have to come out eventually or they'll starve to death in there. Yeah. Um and Bilbo, because winter's approaching, eventually is like, this is never going to end. And so he leaves to be like, if you don't, if we don't end this now, your people are going to die because winter is approaching. Right. So, but yeah, you're right that when they, <laughs> that morning they woke, wake up and the elves and Bard and they're like, we got this in the bag. It's just us versus 13 dwarves. And then more dwarves show up and then orcs show up and then more orcs show up. So yeah, this yeah, idea it's... of like, we should keep the city safe was something that never crossed nope. their mind. Way yeah. far down on their agenda. Yeah. One troll that I think that was kind of like a funny little bit that just has just mashes through the like first wall of defense. It's no orc running with the Olympic torch oh, to blow up. So good and so Helms bad. Deep, but it gets the job done and orcs get into the city and then when they realize the orcs have turned on the city, Bard and some of the elves head back. We see Bane and his, uh, what are their, Tilda and Sigrid, right. Bard's kids, running around. And like in this, I don't know what it was, like in the previous movie and up until now, I was thinking like Bane was like, I don't know, a teenager or something. But like in these scenes where like he's fighting against orcs and stuff, I'm like, he's a boy. Like he yeah. is a child but he does a really great job of defending his sisters it's very sweet mm -hmm. and bard is running around meanwhile trying to find his this is i thought this was a really funny moment he's just like where are my children and like this one woman running by like happens to hear it yeah. and she's like i saw them in the old town <laughs> and like just keeps running yeah. by it was just like really funny like how random but also like it was like okay, obviously that was very like that was written into the script, duh. Yeah. But like it didn't it didn't feel very natural, you know. <laughs> no, it was very convenient, and I, I guess like you know Bard's fairly well known. Presumably, his kids would have been seen around the town, but but yeah, it's yeah. a little bit like where are my children? Oh, I have that specific piece of plot relevant information. Let exactly. me tell you, and then vanish and never be heard yeah. from again. Literally, it's as she's running by. It's so funny. Anywho, so yeah, Bard is in the fight. Gandalf's in the fight. I think Bilbo is maybe. I don't know if we actually see him fighting. He might just be like hiding or whatever. Important to note in the book, Bilbo puts the ring on 
as soon as the battle starts. Yeah, pretty much immediately. <laughs> He's like, forget this. And I I thought that was just a funny detail. And then granted, it goes very differently in the book because he gets he gets knocked out and then wakes up at the end of the battle. Right. Gandalf, I was like, hey, maybe now is a good time to use some magic. <laughs> <laughs> Could we get some magic going? <laughs> uh, it would be useful. It might make you know he can't make it too easy on them though. Is the problem? Yeah, I know, He's man. Got, and, I don't know. Did... I think there's like there's enough going on that even if he used his magic, there would still be other problem. Like there's a bunch yeah. of trolls. You know, he can't. There yeah, still would have. He wouldn't have been able to fix everything, but just a little bit ago, he's he is leaving Dolkeldor on rabbit ambulance with Gladwell saying like, "Get him out of here because it's quote draining his life force." And then the next time we see him, it's he, like, yeah, he like ju- he like pops back up pretty quickly. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's fine. He's and not Radag- even- Yeah, because Radagast is like, you need to stay and rest. And Gandalf was like, no, I need to go warn everyone else what's happening. Yeah. And then he rides off on a horse that isn't Shadowfax. <laughs> well, I mean, that makes sense. He hasn't met Shadowfax yet. Hasn't met Shadowfax yet. Oh, there's one point where like a crowd of people is like charging and Alfred is running with them. And Alfred's like, yeah, get him. Go charge. And he like pauses to take a breath. And then when no one's around looking, he uh, like slinks around a corner to hide. And just every time he's in, Every time he does anything, I hate it. I hate him. He was a useless addition to these movies. I keep waiting. Number one, I keep waiting for them to stop giving him important tasks to do. It's like they keep yeah. trying to, you know, well, okay. Can we not learn? You know, well, I think um, because Gandalf is the one to tell Alfred to look after Bilbo. But up until Gandalf has just met Alfred. He doesn't know that he has this Gandalf history of excused, not following through, yeah. you know. Yeah, so uh, Alfred's just terrible. God, yeah. Yeah, no, I, it, if they had had some sort of redemption moment for him, it, we could have maybe forgiven it, but yeah, no. No, no. no. I, I still, no, I wouldn't have forgiven it. He's just a terrible character. Uh, another crowd of people is running by, and one of, uh, it's another instance of like yes. random villager yelling out relevant plot information. She's like, the old town's overrun! <laughs> and Bard's like, not the old town, that's where my that's kids where are. my children are. So he like looks down the row and I guess like a wall had been knocked down or something and he's able to see them and a troll is coming up behind them mm-hmm. and he uses that Papa Bear strength and he grabs a cart and jumps on it and goes hurtling down and knocks the troll out of the way. Almost nearly kills his children, by the way. He's yeah. like, get down. He's like, it's like, you really did not think this through, man. And it barely goes over them. Um, and he knocks into the troll and kills it, kills like whatever else orcs are there and saves his children. What an excellent father. Love to see just Papa Bear coming in hot, saving his kids. This is his surfing down the stairs on a shield moment. Yes. Yes. If you know what, if anything, I like this moment more because when mm-hmm. I when I first watched the shield surfing, I was like, that's just kind of cheesy and stupid. <laughs> well, at this point in, in the, the 2000s, film, yeah. that was cool. But <laughs> yeah, at this point in the film, I'm like, there's been so much visual cheesiness at this point that I'm just like, I'm, I accept it. I'm like, OK, yeah. It's and true. then he yeah. like jumps a cart over his children and flies yeah. in the air and stabs a troll <laughs> yeah, in the heart. OK. Defying a few laws of physics probably while we're at it you know it's like this is the world we live in now yeah dale is overrun with 
orcs, just mass chaos. Everyone's fighting for their lives. Bard says to get all of the elderly and women and children, whoever, into town hall or whatever, to the great hall. Yeah. And this is what he gives another task to, to Alfred. Alfred. <laughs> you know, keep my children alive, get them there. And then he says, because I think Bard knew He says to Alfred, like, as soon as you're done getting them there, we need you. Come fight. We need every man to fight. And he, like, says it adamantly looking at Alfred. Like, hands in the sword. Like, he knows that Alfred is going to use this as an excuse to hide and get out of the fight, which he does. Mm -hmm. Surprise, surprise. So, yeah, Alfred takes the kids off. And then the first chance he gets, he, like, pushes past them and says there's, like, a scene... Uh, it's all kind of like this is the point in the movie where like there's a lot of action so to like cut between our different characters like pretty rapidly but like at one point when they're going into the great hall he's like shoving he says like abandon the cripples cripples. yeah (laughs) which is just such a terrible thing to say on so many levels so many levels (laughs) yes and he uh he also gives the sword to bane rather than him taking the sword pretty much immediately Oh my gosh, yeah. Although, in Bard's defense, if you want your children to be safe, you send them to follow the coward. If you're like, okay, so where's- Because the coward, he'll find a way out. Right, yeah. Like, how do I make sure that these children get to the safest possible place where there's no chance that they're going to be threatened by orcs? I know, Alfred. That's a good, you know, that's a good point. Yeah, that's an excellent point to make. Thranduil comes charging in. What a move. On his deer. On the elk. I know. And uh, it spears up a bunch of orcs, and then he gets shot, and the elk is killed. I firmly believe that Thranduil's ensuing killing spree is just because- It's fully because of that. Also, it's a very strange... It, like, all of a sudden kind of, like, goes into slow-mo when the elk is shot, and then it, like, falls over and Thranduil falls off. It, like, goes into slow-mo a little bit. Yeah, it's And, like, it's a a pretty dramatic shot Mm -hmm. it's a very dramatic moment and then yeah there's like this moment where thranduil is like looking around at him as all these orcs are approaching so i wrote down not the elk yeah and then thranduil goes into this rage killing it and i was like i think that's exactly what thranduil was feeling in that moment he's like i know you did not just kill my elk y'all did not (laughs) just kill my deer yeah how dare you he looks you do not mess on the deer i know he it should be stupid but it's not and dramatic he looks on that elk They're and he knows it's by a the good antlers. look. Yeah. Oh my god, it's so cool with like his little crown of right. antlers. Oh. It's a cool look. He knows it's a it. He knows statement that those orcs ruined it for him. They did, and he's going to have his revenge. Yeah. He's fighting. Bard's fighting. Gandalf's fighting. We sit. We go back to in front of um, Erebor, where B- no Danes <laughs> almost said Bane. Dane's army, Ironfoot, they're fighting, and there's a lot of, like, um, like the music uh, that they're doing, it's kind of in, like, the sound design of this part where some of it, like, the battle's sounds are kind of, like, silenced almost, mm-hmm. um, because it's starting to get to be, like, this is becoming a tragedy where they are being slaughtered, there's a lot of death, it's very, it's a very desperate situation. Dane says, where's Thorin? We need him. You, like, feel that desperation yeah. of being, like, where is Thorin? He should be here. Yeah. So... We go see what Thorin's up to then. And it's not good. No. 
It's Dwalin mm-hmm. who is confronting him in this scene. He, uh, Thorin is sitting on his throne, like all by himself. He has like the crone and uh, crone. He has the crown, the crown. different from the and crow, everything which he had on. earlier. Yeah. <laughs> he has the crown on and like this robe and, you know, all this stuff. He's sitting on his throne. He's all alone. Dwalin is telling him what's going on. He says, like, it's mass destruction out there. They're not going to last long. They're going to be upon us soon. We need to do something. And Thorin is like, there's like tunnels and everything in here. We can fortify this place and protect the gold. Yeah. And Dwalin is like, the gold? No, our brothers are being killed out there. And yeah. you want to protect the gold? Yeah, no, I love actually, because like I said, this movie is kind of hit and miss for me. And I understand that they're taking a lot of liberties. But one thing I really t- was surprised by how much I appreciated it in this scene is how good of a job they do kind of intimating what Thorin's life has been like and why the gold matters to him so much. You know, for Bard, it's more like this gold, I could rebuild my town. I can take care of my people. Thranduil's like, I mostly just don't like dwarves and I'm a fabulous king and I need... He wants this one particular necklace back. Yes. (laughs) It's never explained. He's just like, it has the gems of starlight. And I think that's like all we really get about it. (laughs) Yeah, they're... I feel like Peter Jackson has an elaborate headcanon backstory for Thranduil because oh, this I'm is sure. not this is not very well developed in the books. There's other Thranduil has other reasons for doing what he does. But well, I, in the Hobbit, he doesn't even he, he's just the elven right, king. He's not even he doesn't Thranduil. even have a name. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Tolkien at that point was conflating him with like Thingol, even like one of the first age elven kings, because because Tolkien didn't know when he wrote the Hobbit, this was what he wrote well before Lord of the Rings. He didn't know how it right, was all. Yeah. He didn't know he was writing about the Third Age. He didn't even really realize he was writing about Middle Earth or what that would kind of become to mean. But anyway, Thorin, it for him, it's you know, it's gold, yes, and it's pretty, and he's a dwarf. But it's more to do with the fact that for a dwarf, gold and and Erebor, it's like that's who they are, and they've been kicked out of all of their other fortresses at that point. They've been a wandering people. They are the greatest craftsmen in Middle-earth, and they've been reduced to doing coal mining and blacksmith work just to survive. And dwarves aren't quite, you know, immortal like elves, but they live for hundreds of years, and they think very deeply about pride and family and heritage and all that. So for Thorin, when he says he has this line don't talk to and he's almost kind of like crying as he says it's a it's a line that you would think would be delivered very angrily but he's almost broken as he's telling Dwalin don't talk to me like I'm just another dwarf lord like I'm just Thorin Oakenshield because you can it's so tragic because it's like but we need Thorin Oakenshield like there's nothing wrong with you being Thorin Oakenshield. Oh, I totally forgot to mention also that reminded me right at the start of this section of the movie, Gandalf, when he like confronts Thorin and Bilbo comes down, Gandalf says something like, you are doing a very poor job of being king under the mountain. Yeah, you're not making a very splendid figure. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And like, I love that moment of Gandalf like confronting him and being because last Gandalf saw Thorin, they were, you know, going into Mirkwood. Yeah. And Gandalf was the one who set Thorin on this mission. And Mm -hmm. so just to be told by the person who told you to go take back Erebor, be like, you are not being the king. Like you, sure, like you 
are dressed like what the say it's like if you have to tell people that you're the king you're not a very good king you know and like so yeah that moment where Thorin's like you're speaking to me like I'm just Thorin Oakenshield is like you really feel that weight yeah the way the actor you know deals with that too you can see that he my perception of Thorin's character in the movie in this moment is that he doesn't even really want to be king under the mountain but he knows he sure as heck you know doesn't want to go back to being impoverished and wandering and this is in his mind this is kind of like i can you know i can keep our wealth safe i can keep our inheritance safe and you know dane's probably already you know lost there's no way we can there's 13 of us how can we win but we can keep the mountain that's all we have left that's all all the hope that thorin has had really Mm -hmm. so yeah it's like it's i I think that they could have really made him a caricature and just been like oh he he's a dwarf and he just wants gold and he's just in it for the money and but instead they really kind of portray how it means so many different things to him it's tied up in his father and his grandfather and his homeland and the loss of dignity that he's had to suffer so so props and also like the um point of the this mission was to take back Erebor and so there he's like what's the what was the point of all this if Erebor is lost yeah yeah I think it's a bit random that it is Dwalin who is having this scene. And I kind of wonder if it's if this scene was originally written for Balin. Yeah. I had that um, and maybe the actor just had some scheduling conflicts and they're like, just give it to another dwarf. No one will notice. Or maybe even have it be Keely or Feely because yeah. they're, you know, next in line. So I thought it was a bit random that all of a sudden Dwalin is the one confronting him over this because we haven't really gotten to have any moments with Dwalin up until now so it's a bit it's a bit odd Dwalin like runs off and is like fine mm-hmm. I don't you know I don't I've done all I can I've said all I can say whatever yeah and Thorne seems pretty set in his ways in this moment and then this is what I really so reading reading the book you don't see what happens inside Erebor after Bilbo leaves. The bat, like the battle happens, and then all of a sudden the dwarves burst out and charge and go into action. And you don't hear anything about what happened to Thorin to change his mind or what went on inside the mountain on the dwarf side of the story. So I was just like left to my imagination. And so leading up to this moment in the movie, I was like, oh, I can't wait to see how they come to this moment where Thorin is, he's having this realization of what's happened to him. And it all happens like internally. And I don't understand exactly what the trigger was that made him start thinking all of the things that everyone has said to him so far. Yeah. And it doesn't see because when Dwalin leaves, it seems pretty much like, oh, okay, Thorin's not going to do anything. Yeah, but then like the very next work. scene is him like contemplating everything all of a sudden. Yeah. I, it was because he starts, he kind of goes back in time and he, Dwalin says his piece and leaves. And then Thorin immediately in his head, it's like maybe 20 seconds later, he replays the exact lines that Dwalin just said. And then he replays the lines that. Bilbo just said and Gandalf just said which was maybe 10 minutes ago at this point but it it yeah. it reminds me of when I'm like sometimes I'll be watching an anime and they'll have an episode where 20 minutes of it is taken up with a recap of a conversation that happened in the last episode I'm like yes we know they had a heart to heart we don't need to see it blow by blow with commentary like mm-hmm. we know it happened we can move on to to like the action you know what the character decides to do but instead it was very much in this 
scene, he just, he replayed all of the conversations, like, in reverse chronological order. And he was like, you know, a lot of people have said that maybe I need to reconsider my maybe choices. Maybe they have a point. Yeah, so it, um... It really just disappointed me that there didn't really... I was thinking like, oh, it's going to be this moment between him and Keely and Feely because they're yeah. you know next in line or it's going to be between him and Balin or maybe the all of the dwarves are going to stand up against Thorin together and that's what's finally going to shake him out of this, you know? And then come to find out it's all just like a conversation that happens inside his head combined with like a vision slash, slash yeah. hallucination where like he sees himself being drowned by the gold. Yeah. And then he like takes the crown and throws it off and it's kind of like snapped out of it finally. But yeah, there was no that that was like my biggest disappointment really is that there was no actual moment or thing that he was like, wait a minute. Yeah. I, I I've been I'm totally wrong here. We gotta fix this. We gotta make it right. Yeah, I, it was I guess being on the now solidified pool of gold and realizing that it's it's like a literal pool that you could potentially drown in, I guess that kind of in his unstable state triggers a vivid hallucination of that. And then he draws a parallel to that and like the dragon, maybe, but yeah, I agree. He could have even just, you know, found some artifact of his family or... Yeah, it's not even like, oh, he looked... That, you know what? That even would have been great. He goes into a room and sees like a portrait or a statue of his grant because that's, yeah. that's the thing that ultimately snaps him out of it. He keeps having this one thought over and over again where he had said to either Gandalf or Bill, but someone at some point he said... I am not my grandfather. And he finally seems to remember that. And so that even would have been a great, uh, a totally fine thing for him to look at something. And that's and what remember, you know, yeah. starts all of this. But no, it just, it, it was kind of. That's it, not what happens. No, it was a little bit, <laughs> it was a little bit of an odd sequence where it's his hallucination and then it snaps back to his face and he's like thinking and he has this pensive expression and I'm like okay yeah and then it snaps back to the hallucination and then back to his normal face and then back and forth and so after the first couple of times I'm like I'm starting to giggle and I don't think that's what I'm supposed to be doing in this moment Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I did that a couple times watching this movie the first time (laughs) yeah so yeah Thorin uh, he emerges he, he goes and approaches the rest of the dwarves and Keeley jumps up yeah. and is like, I will not stand here. He's so intense. <laughs> Which is um, funny considering he's the one who was... I know. Even- he was the one who who was right off the bat like, thieves, how yeah. dare you take the stone of my father's or whatever. Yeah. So he um, he's like, I will not sit here while our brothers and uncles and whoever, you know, our kin die mm-hmm. while we sit here doing nothing. It is not who I am. And Thorin's like, you're right. We are the sons of Durin. And they have this very sweet moment. And it kind of made me laugh because it's like, Feely's just over there in the background i guess waving (laughs) like hi i'm also a son i'm also your can can i be a son of durin too uncle (laughs) durin like i'm also here i'm also your nephew no he's not majestic enough he hasn't been groomed oh man (sighs) poor feely poor feely so yeah they rally bomber like i mentioned earlier blows a horn it's a great great solo (laughs) It's it's a lot cooler than than i make it sound it's a really 
cool moment um him the this horn sound and then like going back to the battlefield and seeing like oh no all hope is lost and then they make a very dramatic entrance and charge into action and all kind of like fall in line behind thorn and everyone's reinvigorated invigorated mm-hmm. um i have to ask though it's 13 dwarves are they really gonna make that much of a difference in this battle <laughs> well there's i mean I think part of the thing, so it's a couple things because I, yeah, that that's that's a pretty pretty common critique of this <laughs> scene. I've heard it a couple of places where yeah. it's like it's thirteen of them, but and that it's thirteen of them in the book as well, and they kind of do a similar thing. They burst out at a key moment, yeah. and the idea is that Dane even says, you know, where's Thorin? We need the king. We need. So and, yeah. and when he shows up, then Dane starts screaming to the, you know to the king, follow the king, and then Gandalf's like they're rallying to their king. So like they people say it like four or five times in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea is that now you, they have Thorin on their side. He's the king. He's in in the line of Durin, and he's got his nephews with him. And they're like they'll fight for their king in a way that they wouldn't necessarily fight for just their chieftains because they've been doing that for. Eru knows how long yeah. it's been like yeah so it's really just like a big morale boost. it's a morale thing <laughs> yeah and I think and I think you know the other thing is too they've been up in the mountain they haven't been down on the field so Thorin comes out and rallies them and they're re-engaging with the orcs instead of being pushed back and retreating and Dane says something like so what's the plan like please tell me you have a plan and Thorin's like yeah actually I think I've spotted where their leader I is I can't believe why did they not well that's that's the thing though why was no one else like hey maybe should we go fight the leader (laughs) should we go find azog and kill them (laughs) no one had that thought i like how orcs have improvised some sort of semaphore technology as well that was uh that was pretty yeah (laughs) they've got their big like bat wings that they're using to signal i'm like this is some really advanced thinking for yeah and they have like um for goblins they also they they use horns a lot of people use horns in these movies for they all kind of sound the same to me and i'm like wow they all like must know their horns really well to be like this one means charge this yeah. one means retreat this one means you know whatever anywho yeah so out come the dwarves yay we're all happy thorin's here and the people in dale also see that the dwarves are rallying and that kind of boosts their mood as well mm-hmm. there's this little sparkle in gandalf's eye lo- like a little twinkle of pride when he realizes that it's thorin out there fighting um because he you know, like I said, he had that moment where he cha- like chastised Thorin yeah. for how he was being a king. And then now he's like, see, he's being the king I knew he could be. Bard goes into action and everyone's mm-hmm. like, yeah, we go inside the Great Hall. And I get that there that like it's been it's been 10 years since they made the original Lord of the Rings movies. And not that like feminism and women weren't a thing in the 2000s but this moment where one of the women villagers is like i can't it's like we don't have to stand for this i'll stand by my you know we'll stand by our men in life and death and they're like come on and so i think it's kind of supposed to be like we get it that in helm's deep 
the women and children are cowering in the caves. And yeah. like the women were just as capable of fighting as a five-year-old boy. Yeah. And so that I feel like that's kind of like, it's a little bit like juxtaposition here of like, see, our women aren't cowering. Yeah, they're trying to kind of counter, which is, which is kind of funny because, of course, in the book, it's the women of Rohan that are specifically called out as being valiant that that bit where Mm. where eowyn's like the women of this country know how to wield swords if we have to that's yeah that's in the book they don't do that for some reason right no they they ignore that part which i guess the idea with helm's deep is they haven't quite breached to the point where the women are actually having to like defend the wounded and, I guess if it children. really came down to it, but I feel like but if no, you're I dragging out, if you're dragging out, you know, little boy Timmy, you I, might yeah, as well get some of they, the women who are capable of I fighting too. You know, for sure, this movie is made with that, <laughs> with the original trilogy very much in mind, and yeah, very aware of the optics and how different angles exactly. could be. T- yeah, I feel like they're yes. trying to. Like just like you said, they're saying, hey, so like, look to their so to the the movie creators' small credit. Kind of like how they created Tariel. Uh, it's like at least they saw, they recognized. They're trying. That there was an issue. It still wasn't really a great solve. Um, there was a TikTok trend um, or a sound, and it's a soundbite from a song from the Mean Girls musical. <laughs> and the line is, this is modern feminism talking I intend to run the world in shoes I cannot walk in. And it's supposed and it, it's for like things where it's like, see, look at us doing fun yeah. feminist things, but it's and like it's- not really doing anything ultimately. Right. And this part feels very much like that. Like lip like lip service, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because yeah, they yeah. don't because I don't think we actually do. I mean, they say they're gonna go out and help, but Yeah, I don't think we see them fighting really. And it and it ultimately <laughs> I think it's just assumed. It just turns into a, a gag where Alfred's in drag so you know yeah so then I Alfred, needed that we could get yeah then we're possibly getting into some transphobic areas here as well um Alfred is dressed up like a woman disguising himself and everyone's trying to comfort him and it's like oh come on dear let's go rally like all hope isn't lost yet and she and I say she Alfred is like oh no don't worry about me leave a poor old woman behind and then he like finally snaps and then this woman who was like, come on, let's go fight, reveals that it's Alfred. And it's like, you coward. And Alfred says something like, not every man is brave enough to put on a, a corset. Course, yeah. And then she says, like, you're, you know, calls him a coward. Yeah. And so it's this, you know, classic bit. And it pops up later to a classic bit of like, haha, a man in a dress acting like a coward. Isn't that hilarious? So, yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, potato, potato. I, I think what you said earlier, where he's just he's he really does. It's hard to tell where the redemption, not in terms of redemption arc, like he's now morally worthy. But like, what is the value of having this character? Like, yeah, I fully don't know. I don't know why he was here because it's not like the first time he shows up and then all he's supposed to be like funny I guess I'm trying I guess it's supposed I actually you know what I think that's it I think he was supposed to be some comedic relief but I don't think it's funny I think it's just annoying yeah it's I don't I don't know a single person who's like oh yeah but I'm trying to think if you take Alfred out of the plot does anything change like no I would say some of the stuff I would say if he died 
with Smaug and Lake Town and everything, like from there on out, would the plot have changed at all? No. Bard still would have like become their leader. They still would have gone to Dale. They still would have, you know, gone to Thorin. Bilbo still would have come out to get the Arkenstone. The only thing I can say is maybe if Alfred hadn't been there, Gandalf would have kept an eye on Bilbo and then Bilbo wouldn't have gone back to the dwarves. But like, but even then, I mean, that's the- still such a minor thing, you know? Yeah, he could have just sn- snuck away from Gandalf and used his ring. So, yeah. So, yeah, we have this terrible, terrible, stupid moment with Alfred. Very stupid. <laughs> and a little bit cheesy, corny moment with the women villagers being like, yeah, yeah let's fight. Um, one of them grabs a spear and knocks a pot of gold. Da- like, uh, it knocks a pot down and it breaks and, and there's, there's gold, gold inside. And I was yeah. like, what is this random pot of gold doing here? <laughs> Whatever. Alfred sees it. That's all That's all you need to know. Right. Um, so, yeah, Dane and Thorin reunite on the battlefield. They have a great bro hug. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dane's like, all right, what's the plan, chief? Um, and he's like, we're going to go up to Azog and confront the leader. Come on. See, it's a cool moment. It's a cool moment watching Thorin, Keely, Feely, and Dwalin mm-hmm. charging off on rams. I did wonder, like, where did the sheep come from? But okay. Yeah, I'm like, where did those come from? (laughs) Uh, Maybe some of the other dwarves came in riding those, I guess. Yeah. You know, I think there's an extended scene where they have dwarf cavalry on rams, which I was willing to accept the elk. The battle pig was a stretch for me. I'm sorry. That's interesting. Yeah. So this this is a cool moment watching them lead off. However... Me, like, knowing what is to come, I'm like, please, just, like, leave Keely or Feely behind. At least one of them. Leave one of them behind, please. (laughs) Yeah, so their plan is to go up, confront Azog head on, except there's a second wave of orcs coming. Uh Uh-oh. Legolas and Tariel show up at Lake Town. I think this is the first time in these movies Gandalf and Legolas have have interacted or met that like we've seen. I'm trying to remember. I think so. Yeah, because Gandalf leaves before Mirkwood even happens. So this is the first time they see each other. I guess they have already met. I don't doubt that they would know of each other, but Gandalf is immediately like, Legolas! Legolas Greenleaf! Finally! (laughs) Gandalf is like, Legolas! And Legolas is like, Gandalf! So I guess they've met previously at some point. Yeah, it was a bit. I don't know. I don't know when they would have met. Is the thing you know? Legolas is old. He's probably at least five hundred at this point. Possibly even as old as like two thousand. And Gandalf is. He knows Thranduil. So, or he seems to anyway, at least in a political... Yeah, I'm assuming that maybe, like, yeah, Gandalf came to Mirkwood at some point to talk with Thranduil, and then that's how Legolas met him. Yeah, but it does, they seem, Gandalf seems, like, relieved to see him, and, like, I know that I can tell you, which I think is just, they're leaning hard into this, well, all the members of the Fellowship knew each other before there was a Fellowship. Yeah, exactly, right, right, right. like, just another moment for a call-out, and... Like, no. It is a little bit, I didn't really realize it until they were on screen together, but I did kind of feel like, ah, oh, this is how it should be. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, so yeah, Legolas warns Gandalf and says, you know, we were just at Gundabad. I still don't know why Toriel and Legolas went to Gundabad, but was hoping they you went would there. know. I don't know. No, I never, I have not ever made that connection. Maybe there's an extended edition scene, but point being, they are warning Gandalf that there's the second wave of orcs coming and they say coming from the north and Bilbo Bilbo says where is the north exactly and I was like yes Bilbo same yes uh, exactly what I would have I said in that moment very turned around here 
Oh my god! I it's guess, like when your GPS is like turn. It's like head east on Smith yeah. Street, and it's like left or right. Yeah, please. <laughs> I guess it's different if you've like walked over the terrain like on foot for months. You would maybe kind of have an idea, but but no, very much also a- like in a battle, everything's yeah. getting you know turned around. Yeah. So and where is also north exactly? And it's where Raven are they? Hill. Yeah, where are they coming from? Too. It's like why would there be more orcs in the north? Like from Bilbo's perspective. Everyone else is like, oh, no, not the northern orcs. And Bilbo's like, are they bad? Yeah. So this is what I don't truly... I need a map. (laughs) For sure. So, yeah, they're like, Ravenhill, but that's where... That's where Thorin is. And Keely and Feely, too. Also, poor Dwalin, whatever. (laughs) Bilbo's like, everyone's up there. Thorin, Keely, Feely. It's like, poor Dwalin. Um, The unpretty one. Tariel hears that Keely's up there. And I just want to be like, girl, just leave it alone. (laughs) <laughs> he just just let it go i'm sorry just you've talked to this boy three times mm-hmm. we just let it go um but yeah she gets this look on her face and she's like oh no my boyfriend is in trouble yeah um up on Ravenhill, thorin and them arrive and they start you know fighting some things and then as they like get closer it's empty mm-hmm. and yeah someone says like it looks empty and i'm like it's obviously a trap then. <laughs> yeah. Do not go forward, which yeah, to, is what they do. Well, to his credit, Thorin's like, yeah, I don't think so. But he thinks he seems to think they can still handle it. He's like, yeah, I got this. Oh, yeah. So he sends Keely and Feely over to like the other, they're like other tower fortress area. And he's like, go sneak around. Do not be seen. I think he even says like, do not engage in battle yeah, or something. He if, says, pull back if you're seen. And I'm yeah. like, you're such a good uncle. But yeah, it's like, obviously this is a trap. Let's turn around and leave and maybe mm-hmm. come back with more reinforcements who aren't like this group is three fourths the the like bloodline of Durin and yeah. you know and like the king and, and everything. Can we not come back with more people who wouldn't inherit the throne otherwise? Yeah, could, could we not just like wipe out the line? Yeah. Over back in Dale, Thranduil is walking around. This is, I really feel it in my gut where he's looking around and seeing all of the dead elves yes. and seeing his people slaughtered and you know death is not something that the elves are experienced with he orders them to fall back and i can't say i blame him you know if he he came into this battle that wasn't necessarily even his fight to begin with and then they did to his little credit step up when the orc showed up um, and teamed up with the dwarves, but he's like, "This is out of our element yeah. now. We, I have to take back what's left of my people." And this is in the parts of it are in unfinished tales. There's references in the appendices. It's not real well fleshed out. But Thranduil and his dad go to the War of the Last Alliance at the sort of end of the Second Age, beginning of the Third, that turning point, and they besiege Mordor. Like the the movies portray it very quickly, and in the books, it's only referenced, but. They lay siege for, like, long time, like, multiple years, and they squeeze Sauron slowly uh, to the point where he actually has to come out and do battle himself, which Sauron hates. That is not his MO. Um, but he does it anyway. And Thranduil's daddy is not around to see any of this because they he, le- he leads a charge, like, almost immediately and just, like, wipes the wood elves out. And so Thranduil, like, ends up inheriting the throne there on the battlefield with his dad, like, having just... And, and most of his people just having perished horribly in front of him. Um, So that's that's kind of the explanation in universe for why he's such a reticent and cautious ruler. 
you know, even like uh, Legolas and Lorien shows up and he's like, well, I don't know. They say that Lorien's inhabited, but none of my people have been here for like hundreds of years. It's like, you're elves. What have you been doing? You're literally across the river. You yeah. Can, you're not going to like go ask for help with your spider problem. Um, nope, they never did. No, nope. they never did. Uh, they didn't. And Legolas is like, yeah, I don't know. And Gimli's like, I think I know more about this place than you do. Than you do. Um, <laughs> he doesn't say that, but you can, he's, it's a, he's like, um, yeah, no, that's not good. You're an elf and a wood elf, and this is a wood elf kingdom, and you don't know, like, any that's of what That's what you're I was always about. confused about. I was like, I thought, like, Galadriel and, like, Thranduil would be homies, but. Galadriel and Thranduil <laughs> no. hate each other. She's a Noldo. She's, like, straight out of Valinor, and Thranduil's, like, very conservative Sindarin, but he's not even comfortable being Sindarin. He'd prefer to be, like, Sylvan and one with nature and all of that. So, Thranduil, like, he's having hardcore flashbacks to his father's death and the destruction yeah, of his sure. people's army. So, this I really liked. The only problem I had with it was I was sort of like, it's kind of flip flopping. He seems pretty comfortable with the idea of engaging dwarves in battle whereas in the book of course he's the elven king and he's much more remote but his general position seems to be i don't really want to fight a war this doesn't seem like a great idea i think he even has a line where he's like you know it's gonna take a lot to get me to actually start a war over just some stupid jewels like it's not and then in the <laughs> and in the movies in he's the movie. like i want those jewels yeah. store and like well, that's what's funny bard has a line to thranduil that's like are you really willing to go yeah. to war over a handful of gems and i'm like yes he is <laughs> like that's exactly what he's movie gonna thranduil do is all about that and it's kind of oh beautiful but but yeah it's like this i liked because i was like finally like we're getting Thranduil, the scarred veteran who's like, I can't, you know, we have so few left, we can't afford to keep throwing bodies at this problem. We got to withdraw and hope that we can regroup and fight another day. And that, I think, colors this next conversation he has with with Portariel. Yeah. Well, so first Gandalf comes over to Thranduil and is like, you have to send some of your men up to Ravenhill. Thorin, the dwarves are going to be slaughtered. And then that's when he's like, I can't uh, i we're out <laughs> i'm done <Yeah>. bye <laughs> have fun <laughs> peace out homie and bilbo says i can go i can't just yeah hobbits man he's hobbits. so cute yeah remember no one knows that bilbo has the ring in the movie um right the, i don't know necessarily if gandalf in the book knows that bilbo has this ring but the other dwarves know that he has a he has a ring that turns him invisible right that's all anyone knows at this point yeah so gandalf is like i will not allow it and bilbo mm-hmm. says i'm not asking you to allow it yes and just such a sweet moment and of course the actors are you know nail it martin freeman is amazing He's so good as uh Ian McKellen is amazing just excellent little moment and you you definitely know that Gandalf is thinking like you've come so far since yeah. when I walked since I barged into your hobbit hole and asked if you wanted to go on an adventure and you said no good day <laughs> and slammed the door in my face you know yes um so yeah Bilbo goes like around a little curve corner or whatever and uh puts the ring on and rushes in and out of like the battle and this is where I came to the this thought occurred to me if bilbo was accidentally killed with the ring on mm. would the ring just be lost forever then because who would know to look for an invisible body yeah no bilbo would you be know just like i think the action. ring would just be lost forever then yeah i'm trying to think so like okay this might sound a little dark but bilbo's dead body is eventually going to decay so like it will and then the ring would fall off right okay. and the ring could slip off 
So that makes like his, I don't, and I don't know, you know, if you're killed while you're wearing the ring, are you still invisible? Because the whole idea with the invisibility is you've been taken into Wraith world, but like if you're dead, then you're Well, soul... in the book, he is knocked unconscious yeah, while he's wearing the ring. But he's still and like. And he's still invisible. He is still alive. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't know. That was just a fun, yeah, no, that's a fun little question that pops into my head. Probably, of like, would, I think I think you're right that unless the, however, the ring does keep you in, you know, because Bilbo doesn't, he doesn't seem to age when he is in possession of the ring after this. So would his body not decay properly because he has the ring on, or was it just, would it, it just not matter know, anymore because it, he's dead? I think it's because, but but I don't know if you can really kill him if he's got the ring on too, because if. That's, I mean, it's tricky. The ring is weird. The ring is super weird. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, just um, yeah, listeners but no, think about that when you're trying to go to sleep tonight. It's <laughs> kind of traumatic to think that, like, you know, Isildur loses it in the river. Deagle finds it. Smeagol kills him and finds it. And then Bilbo takes it and Gollum's, like, hunting for it and Sauron's hunting for it. And Bilbo has it and, like, oh, my gosh. And then it's, like, it's just lying. Like, would it? Would a dwarf pick it up? I don't want to see a dwarf with the one ring. Although dwarves are pretty good about it. So maybe... Maybe that wouldn't be the worst thing. Maybe they would just take it and go inside Erebor. And yeah, and they'd just it. be like... They gold, would just hoard it, gold, you know? mithril, ring. Like, we're set. Great. We're Yeah, we're, we're all good. We don't need to do anything else for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Yeah, Bilbo sets off to go help Thorn. Again, kind of similar with, like, the dwarves charging out. Oh, I guess he's just going up there to send word. That's all that's happening. Is yeah, he's, he's not going like, up there to, like, help them fight. He's just going to be like, you have to turn around. There's another yeah, there's wave other... of orcs coming. Yeah. Yeah. So then this is where, yeah, Thranduil and all of them are leaving. And Tariel runs over to him and says, like, you have to, you have mm-hmm. to go help the dwarves. You, They will be slaughtered. And she's like, are you really just going to, like leave again, leave all of this darkness to run in the world while you turn a blind eye. And um, and she pulls out her bow and arrow and is like ready to kill. And I'm like, okay, Tariel, all right, hang on. Let's let's take a breath. Yeah. I'm not like Thranduil. Sure. He's not the greatest guy. But like, this is a bit drastic. Mm-hmm. Let's c- calm down a bit. Um, yeah. Like, are and- you really going to like with his army at his back, you're going to threaten the Elven King? Yeah. Is it's she- like, are we really going to threaten the Elven King because he won't go save your boyfriend? Yeah, that's like, the other Like, is that thing. really the move here? I don't know if she's <laughs> talking about, like, the or- the Dwarven army generally and, like, the men, or if she's just specifically talking it's about... It's definitely, I think, supposed to be, like, she's talking about, like, the words she's saying mean like in general the dwarves you cannot let them die but i think we all know that she's really just talking about with she's just she just has keely in mind which is their their whole party like you pointed out is five dwarves on a hill (laughs) like even if thranduil was staying for the whole party you can't expect him to necessarily send out scouts after the two people who went to try and find Azov. Right, right, That's yeah. That's just bad strategy. Like, we're not going to sacrifice a bunch of elves just to save a few dwarves. No. Even if, like, one of them is the king. Like, that's not good strategy here. Yeah, Thranduil kind of, you know, is very, like, condescending towards her and is mm-hmm. like, you really, like, think you can uh, do all of this just for, uh, you know, the dwarf who you think you love, but you yeah. don't know what love is. Um... And this, again, I want to read Peter Jackson's Thranduil fanfic. I know he has one. <laughs> well, so I don't think you're wrong there because <laughs> like Legolas also mentions 
in the most dramatic moment so, I've ever seen. Yes. Um, when he, with their outside Gundabad, and he turns to Tariel and goes, my mother, like, my mother was killed in there. <laughs> and, like, that's all we really know of, um, yeah, see, like, like, Alyssa's mom, who, according to IMDb, <laughs> the trivia yes. section, no, says that she is not mentioned by Tolkien, no. you know? Um, so, yeah, I don't think you're wrong that, like, Peter Jackson created this backstory where, like, his, where Thranduil's, like, wife died tragically, and because of that, he keeps, I don't know, Legolas on a tight, on a short leash, or, you know, wants him to, like, follow directly in his footsteps so that, you know, whatever happened to his mom doesn't happen to, I don't know. No, it's it's something like that has been a a fan theory for years before The Hobbit, but it, like... If we were going to go that route, which I don't necessarily dislike that idea, but you should explain that in the movie if you're going to have it have these moments right, of emotional yeah. significance where Thranduil's like, you know nothing of love and we can see in his face yeah. like, I know about love. And it's, but yeah, exactly. What, it's what not you because know? he's he's like trying to be like mean or, or or anything, you know, it's not like he, he's not trying to be cruel. No. It seems like he's coming from a place of I had a love that I loved so deeply and I lost her yeah. and that same thing is going to happen to you and you know what he t- a conversation that happens later with Tariel right. too kind of implies that as well yeah there's like a lot of complex no, backstory thing. that seems to be happening that isn't explicitly told to us <laughs> we're all just imagining it plus Thranduil has a really good point here because as we've pointed out Tariel's talked to Keely like Four times? Oh, it's three times, yeah. Yeah. So, so they talked. They talked. They, they met they in, the, in the in the forest when yeah. she took when she saved him from that spider. Mm-hmm. Um. Then in the cells and when he's imprisoned, and then like if you, I don't necessarily count this one, but like after she saves his life, Keely like is in like a fevered like state and doesn't even think that Tariel is real because he's like you cannot be her she is far away and I wouldn't need and I don't even think Tariel says anything I think all she says is like lie back down you need to rest and then Keely is like he's like you know still sick and like coming out of it and then they have that conversation on the shores before the dwarves go to Erebor so like they've Mm -hmm. spoken like a total of like three maybe four times (laughs) yeah yeah so I mean Thranduil has a good point here he's like Okay, so first of all, he's a dwarf, he's mortal. Like you you may yeah. you love him right you know, even if you did love him, like it would be for a heart a heartbeat, and a he, blink of time and he would be dead. Yeah, and he does seem to yeah, I kind of, I, I forgot that like he says that he he says like all of this for dwarves, he's like, it doesn't matter if they die today. They will die They'll tomorrow. Die eventually, they yeah. will die, you know, in ten years and fifty years. We you know, cannot sacrifice our lives for mortals. That's when, yeah, Tariel is, I think that maybe is when she pulls I out the bow. I think that's her trigger point, yeah. Uh, yeah, and she's, she's like, you would, you know, sacrifice, you, you know, you would, like, bathe in dwarven blood or something. I don't know what she says. So, yeah, something, something, something to that dramatic. effect of, like, you would sacrifice that many dwarves just because you think, you know, your life is... You value elven lives so much more than dwarves, you know, whatever. Then Thranduil, like, cuts her bow in half and is, like, As well holding he her should. sword point. And then Legolas shows up, our homeboy. Oh, um, and he, like, 
pushes the sword away and is like, leave her alone. I think it's because he says, he says earlier in the movie, he says something like, he does not command my heart. Yeah, he's my king, but he doesn't command my heart. Yeah, yeah. He turns to Tariel. I mean, Legolas turns to Tariel and says, I will go with you. Let's go. Mm. And then they like turn and leave Thranduil. And I thought like up until this watch, I... I had it in my head that there was something to the effect of like, no, dad, I'm giving up on your dream <laughs> where he like turns and leaves and go- and chooses Tariel over his dad, you know? Yeah. Um, but I might have just been conflating that line where he says he does not command my heart. So, yeah, he just is very dramatic and it's like, bye, dad. <laughs> yeah, it's... <sighs> it, w- which is interesting because Legolas starts out very much anti-dwarf. He doesn't think you know, he thinks they're ugly and gross and he's disgusted by them. And then he's kind of having this moment with Tauriel where he's like, you know, no, we should stand with them because we're all fighting the same enemy. And then he, so what, he has this sort of moment where he's like, no, we should stand with the dwarves and accept them. And then by the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring, he's somehow back to... So I think, um, I think in this moment, it's more supposed to be, it's not that he's like, yeah, Toriel's right. Like, this is wrong for us to walk away. Mm-hmm. I think it's supposed to be that he's like, I care about you, Toriel, because this is supposed to be our love triangle. I'll right. remind you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where I'm not really feeling the Legolas Toriel side. That's fine. So I think this is supposed to be more like Legolas saying to Toriel, like, I will help you go after this dude that you love because clearly you care very much about him and I want you to be happy but there's just not as much chemistry with that (laughs) that's been his line all the way through you know even his his father in the one of the first scenes we see is like telling Tauriel you don't have a chance with Legolas because he needs to pursue people of higher status basically and yeah the the suggestion there is that Legolas doesn't really care what his father thinks about his choices and then later on was like well Tariel Tariel's been exiled Legolas is like well I don't care he may be my king but he doesn't command my heart so it's Dad. not it's not like this is a <laughs> moment for him it's not like he's agreed with his father yeah. but he's slowly yeah, yeah. been growing uneasy with the idea and finally he's like no you know what Tariel's more important to me than you and you've really crossed the line which to be fair he did um mm-hmm. you shouldn't you shouldn't point a sword at an elf if you're an elf that's that's really bad juju so well to be fair tariel was gonna shoot him first i think oh yeah no tariel they're they were they were both it wasn't a good situation no it was is it's just bad behavior elves behaving badly all the way around but but not for good reasons yeah yeah so well that is the end of this section of the movie It was all battle. The next episode is going to be mostly all battle. Yeah, that's it. Thank you so much for joining me and and coming on to discuss this portion of the movie, even though I know not everyone loves these movies. I still appreciate a a passionate conversation about them. I'm always ready to to analyze them. And like I said, I kind of just jumped in with two feet and I was like, wow, yeah, there's a lot to go over here yeah like there's a lot lot that happens when you break it down like that yeah yeah no it was great thank um, you so much for asking me yeah sure where can people find you on the internet uh so i am on youtube as girl next gondor all one word um putting out videos as often as I can squeeze them out. Uh, I did a character rehab on Legolas, if you're wondering what the big deal is about him being <laughs> different, very different in the books than he is in the movies. Um, and then I'm on Twitter, again, just girl next gondor, all one word. Um, those are probably my two main hangouts, and I, I have an Instagram account, but I 
don't understand it yet, so I mostly just lurk. So that's fine. Instagram, we're really dating this episode when I say, you know, Instagram can go down for whenever. So if you don't use the app, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yes, you're much safer just sticking with YouTube and Twitter, which is where you will find me most days. That's what I'm talking about as a proud member of WBNE. You can learn more about the network by going to WBNE.org, where you will find all of our shows like Unsobered. Hi, I'm Julia, the host of Unsobered, badass women of history and literature. The podcast where I talk about the women that the history books, history classes, and the general public often overlook, or who just get a brief mention, but we never really know the whole story of their impact on the world we live in. On Unsobered, I share the stories and histories of these badass, amazing, and strong women. And while I tell you the history we don't get from traditional history classes, I get more and more drunk over the course of the episode. So join me to learn more about your favorite women or to find a new favorite woman that you didn't even know contributed to one of your favorite things with new episodes every other Friday. The cover art is by Vaishon Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishon Designs. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash user slash pod. Also, please note that as we get closer to the holidays, if you are interested in getting something for one of your friends or a family member, there might be delays in shipping and orders. So get those orders in now. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TolkienAboutPod. You can find me on Twitter at MC. WhatsApp and Instagram at MC Turn Down for What. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash pod to see the different tiers and perks that are available. You can become a sponsor of the podcast like Alan. Alan, thank you so much for all of your continued support of the podcast. I appreciate it so much. If you like what you're listening to, please rate and review. If you are ever in a bind wondering what it is you should write in a review, just write about what your favorite part of the podcast is. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And next week, we will pick up where we left off and we are ending this thing. That is so weird for me to say because I feel like we literally just started the Battle of Five Armies. I don't know why this has fl- this movie in particular has flown by. So we will pick up around one hour and 36 minutes and go to the end of the movie, of course. And definitely make sure to tune in next week because there are some exciting announcements about what will be happening with the podcast after we finish watching The Hobbit. Awesome. Cool. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I'm sorry that this happened. (laughs) Sorry that we're watching Battle of the Five Armies. Again, just like, I guess everyone should just calm down and try to accept the good and turn a blind eye to the bad. Awesome. And that's what I'm talking about.